Hello everyone and welcome to Grace Stories. I have today with me Sister Kristen Wistein. She is one of the music ministers here at our church. She's a gifted singer and a lovely woman and I am so thankful to have her with me today. Thank you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Good deal. Well, let's get right into it. We're going to be talking about some pretty serious stuff tonight, so I want to get right into it and learn a little bit about you. Now, I've known you most all of your life, I think. You've been coming through uh, the different places that I've gone to church uh, when your dad was evangelizing, and I know you guys were pastoring in Sugartown uh, for quite a while as well, right? Yeah. So um, I know a little bit about you, but I'm going to assume my audience knows nothing. So <laughs> we're going to go with uh, our first question here. Where were you born, and what was a, a little bit of your childhood like? Okay. Um, I was born in Alexandria, Louisiana. I was a pastor's kid when I was born. My dad was pastor in Sugartown, like you were saying. My dad, around the time I was four years old, I believe, started having health problems with diabetes. And so he ended up resigning the church. And it was just a lot of turnover as a kid because he was in and out of the hospital quite often. And we ended up moving because he resigned. And so it was just a lot of environmental unsettling for me as a toddler. And just the life of a preacher's kid hit me full force yeah. from day one. So You know, I can't say that I, I honestly understand that. I mean, because I wasn't raised in a preacher's home like I was telling you earlier off off of the uh, microphones. My dad was just the, the sound man. My mother was the choir director. So I've always sort of had that musical input in my life. But it... I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't raised in a preacher's home. And so I really don't understand what that stress was like. I watched it happen to other mm-hmm. people. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to hear that. And I could imagine that would create some, some instability in your mm-hmm. foundation to have to move around and, and stuff quite, quite a bit when you were young. I do remember when you guys, uh, moved homes. I do remember that happening because mm-hmm. I happened to be working on a nearby project at the time. But mm-hmm. so with your dad being in ministry, so you were raised in a Christian home then. Yeah. From day one pastor's kid right out the chute <laughs> and that comes with its own set of oh, yeah. of challenges as we we will discuss oh, but yes. i just uh wanted to get a little bit of that background uh sort of put to tape so that we kind of understand mm-hmm. where you're coming from when you tell your story okay. uh so what are some of your hobbies even do you have any that carry over from when you were a child uh, music definitely i started piano lessons when i was six so music has been my main hobby and also one of my main coping mechanisms. Um, I don't know if grad school is considered a hobby, but that's <laughs> what I spend most of my time doing. So um, I love to shop. I love to go on road trips. And I love all things Christmas. My two dogs are named um, Tinsel and Frosty. I named my car Blitzen. So I have a little bit of a Christmas obsession. But those are some of my main ones. Well, that's fascinating. I <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard of a dog named... Uh, that so that's that's kind of humorous to me. Uh, yeah, I I didn't have many dogs or cats growing up. We had some barn cats, but it's not you know. I accidentally shot one of them one time, so that's kind of a traumatic experience in my life talking about parent, pets. But and I had a bird that my dad prayed would die and never would. But I think that I thought that thing was going to outlive Methuselah, honestly. <clears throat> So, <laughs> back on track. Uh, when I when I mention your early childhood, mm-hmm. what is the strongest emotion that is connected with that? Well, there's two that come to mind, honestly. 
The first one, I think, would have to be loneliness because I was an only child. Mm-hmm. And I was homeschooled on top of that. Yeah. So I was pretty socially isolated, I guess you could say. Not intentionally. It just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and with my dad pastoring and then moving and then we would move somewhere else and pastor somewhere else and then evangelize. It's like I had this constant turnover where I really didn't feel like I had friends. Yeah. And I so I ended up feeling pretty alone. And then just because of all the moving and all the different homes and towns, church settings, I just felt kind of unsettled. Kind of like I said earlier, you know, it's just, I never really to, to this day, I don't feel like I know what it's like to drive into a town or walk into a house and just breathe a sigh of relief and say, mm-hmm. this is home. Like, yeah. I don't really feel like I know what being home feels like. Yeah. Still to this day. So I'm wow. one day God will bless me with that. Maybe with my own family or yeah. my own ministry or something. I'll get emotionally connected to a place. But I don't really feel that. I don't think I ever have. Yeah. And it's odd to say that out loud. But I don't know what being home feels like. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> it that, is weird to say out loud. That is it's kind of strange. You know, I, you know, I never evangelized full time. And so I, I don't really know what that, that feeling and that emotion is. it must be like for you, you know, to have... Uh, not not such deep roots mm-hmm. to a place, and you know. And my my biggest experience with your dad and his ministry was him coming to our church as an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And so, for the majority of the time that I knew him, or have known him rather, it's been as an evangelist mm-hmm. primarily. And so, that you was know, most of my life was that yeah. more than the other. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, but I can understand how that would contribute to what we'll you know we'll talk about mm-hmm. later. How did being a pastor or preacher's daughter affect your outlook on life as a young woman, and or or even on your, your outlook about yourself? Mm-hmm. Did it have any effect on how you saw yourself? Um, one big statement, I guess I could say, for both the outlook on life and myself, would be that I constantly felt imperfect with this intrinsic need to be perfect. Yeah. So it's like. I constantly felt like I wasn't good enough because mm-hmm. you have all of these expectations from mm-hmm. other people, from your family. You know, because you're in ministry, you can't just be an average kid. Yeah. You can't just be an average toddler. You have to be the golden standard for the mm-hmm. church kids. Right. And, it, and so you're born into this superhuman expectation of I have to be way up here, you know. And even as a kid, you have that expectation. And so it's like you're thrown into unrealistic expectations, and then you're thrown into adult problems. Yeah. Because your parents deal with church problems. You know, that's yeah. part of ministry is you deal with problems, and they can't protect me from everything. Yeah. So as a kid, you're trying to cope with things you can't even understand. If you can't understand something, you can't process it. If you can't process it, you can't cope with it. Right. And so I ended up carrying a lot of things, a lot of baggage into my adulthood some some of it even to this day i'm sure that i probably don't even realize i haven't dealt with yeah because it's so far back but i would say the negatives of it would have to be um i tend to have a strong sense of rejection that came from different circumstances in my life it originated from church hurt as a preteen and a teenager and just because of the life of ministry, I have a lot of hurt by ministry because mm-hmm. I'm in that circle. You know? yeah. So those tend to be the people that hurt. Absolutely. Because those are the ones I'm around. Right. And so I have a hard time trusting in ministry mm-hmm. sometimes because I've seen a lot of the 
just the human side of preachers and the human side of ministry. Absolutely. I've seen the background of ministry, not just the pulpit. Absolutely. And the positives, I think, because there was good that came out, out, out of my childhood. So I feel like I was raised feeling that strong obligation to be perfect and be who other people expected me to be. And it was a great burden I carry. I still do. But this could have sent me down like three different tracks. I could have turned out rebellious, done mm-hmm. the exact opposite of everybody's expectations, or mm-hmm. I could have done just the bare minimum until I was like 18 and then went on my own way. Or I could have excelled and took it and made it something better for my life and my ministry. Right. And I feel like instead of letting the burden of human expectation and ministry expectation break me, I feel like... Not to brag, but I feel like I made it an asset for me. Oh, absolutely. I would agree. And I turned the self-expectation of perfection and people-pleasing into an asset of me learning to just do the best I can. Mm -hmm. And that I'm now that I'm older and I'm an adult myself, I'm in my own ministry, I'm learning my own limits, and I'm learning that I can't be perfect and please everybody. (laughs) And I can do my best, and that's Mm -hmm. all I can do. And probably the most profound thing in that for me is learning and learning every day sometimes that if I can do my best in everything, then that is my version of perfection. Yeah. And if that's my version of perfection, then I'm perfect in that sense because that's as good as I can get. Absolutely. You know, I, you used a word in there, church hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm familiar with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you've been around the church any length of time, you probably are familiar with that. Yeah. The greatest wound probably in my life came from a preacher mm-hmm. um, who spoke out of turn, yeah. not meaning to, to injure, not meaning to destroy, yeah. but he nearly took down not just me, but probably 10 or 15 people around me because he said what he said in public. Mm-hmm. And people were like, they, they walked up to me afterward and were like, how were you able to take that? Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, well, I wasn't about to disgrace the man of God, and he's a man of God. Yeah. I said, you know, whether I agree with what he said or, or not, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, I'm not going to bring a reproach on the church by, by saying something out of turn. Mm-hmm. But I carried, I still carry the scar of that. Mm-hmm. You know, what he said, he said from a pulpit in front of 200 people. Mm-hmm. While I was sitting on the platform, he pointed his finger in my face and had some words to say about me. And so I just, I understand that, but I, and I think it's a prevalent problem. I think people that walk away from church, they're either going to find an excuse. Mm -hmm. And very often that excuse is somebody hurt me. Well, guess what? People hurt your feelings in Walmart. You still go to Walmart. (laughs) You know, people hurt your feelings at a restaurant. You're still going to go out and eat. Mm -hmm. We blame God sometimes for what, what people do, but, but church hurt is a, it's a big word right now, mm-hmm. you know, and you talked about the, the, the desire to be perfect yeah. because of that image that people hold. And I think that's an unreasonable expectation of any child, yeah. you know, yes. especially of a, of a preacher's child. Let's go ahead and be real about it and <laughs> say every eye in the church is on you. Yeah. And are. guess what? <laughs> yeah, they are. No matter where you go, you're mm-hmm. still going to be held to that, that expectation. And so I think it's it's impossible to to hold that up and say this is what we should expect. Yeah. I think we, I think it's time for us to just sort of back away and say let people be human. Yes. And I've I've made that statement about about ministry even. I try to show people the human side of myself. Mm-hmm. So people know that preachers are people too. Yeah. You know, as, just relatable. as you said, <laughs> they are. 
and they're going to make mistakes. Yeah. But I find that you know using that word just sort of struck that conversation mm-hmm. in me of let's talk about church hurt because mm-hmm. it's a very real thing and, and it can lead to other things uh, if not addressed. I think that's why it's so key and so important for us to apologize when we yes. realize whether we think we're right or, mm-hmm. or we're wrong. It's time, you know we need to apologize for how we made someone yes. feel. You know, until somebody told me one time said, I, I can't control what you heard. I can only control what I said. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't control how you felt about what I said either. Yeah. But I can apologize if I've hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm I'm striving to hold myself to that yeah. standard, you know, because I don't want to be more do more damage than I did mm-hmm. good. Did you feel any pressure, which I think we've sort of covered this question to some degree, but any pressure to be or act a certain way because of who your parents were? And if so, what were some of those pressures? Like, would they expect you to memorize the whole Bible by the time you were two? I mean. <laughs> no. Um, thankfully, that was not the case. <laughs> um, but kind of like you were saying, you know, I mean, I, I lived from day one, and I still do live in a glass house. Yeah. You know, and everything can be viewed, good or bad, you know, by de- depending on who's watching. You know, I tend to have a almost unrealistic um, self-examination, I guess you could say, yeah. of my reputation. Like, I, I, I worry about it almost mm-hmm. every day because I know that not only am I upholding my own ministry with my mm-hmm. reputation, because there's a scripture that talks about, you know, our reputation means so much, especially in ministry, because if people don't respect you, they're not going to respect what That's you right. do. That's right. And so um, I do it for myself, but I also know that I can make or break my mom and dad's ministry with Mm -hmm. my reputation because I'm a product of them. So if people look at me and I'm a wild child and I'm Mm -hmm. partying and drinking and doing drugs and everything, then they're not going to respect my parents either. Right. And so I tend to overthink my reputation, but I I would rather overthink it than underthink it. Yeah. But, um, you know, we talked about the unrealistic expectations and everything that I live with and I think all PKs do. And the constant need the constant feeling to be perfect and you know that weight's still on my shoulders every day I'm learning like I said earlier I'm learning my limits what I can and can't do but the pressure's still there yeah it's still there I'm still a PK so. yeah and always will be <laughs> oh, yeah. you know and, and I've always wanted to be sort of active in, in that scene and, and mm-hmm. ministering to those people because I feel like they, they're the most misunderstood group in the church mm-hmm. probably uh, and it it all traces back to those expectations. I feel like, you know, and we're not doing enough. Mm-mm. We're just not doing enough. Um, PKs, one thing I think people don't give PKs a whole lot of grace or, or any sometimes because you know we're growing, Absolutely. we're learning, mm-hmm. and if we make one mistake, it's magnified, right? You know, and it's just not. I mean, I understand why people would view it that way, but people tend to view ministry as just perfect mm-hmm. and it's not no you know, it's not i'm still to this day i'm learning and growing yep. you know and grace i feel like should be shown especially for the kids the preteens the teenagers young adults we're trying to learn the ropes of life yep and we need the church to support it mm-hmm. and not bash our every little mistake you know we're yeah. going to fall down we're going to scrape our knees <laughs> but help us get back up and put band-aid on it you know uh, so i think that is one thing the church could do to help pks for sure you know uh, I used to say that I used to have a saying, uh, I'm a winner at this losing game, (laughs) but I learned, you know, 
over the years to 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 sort of target that saying say what what I'm also a winner is at getting back up mm-hmm. because I'm yes. still here. You know, that's hell true. took its best shot and I'm still here by yeah. some small miracle. <laughs> and that's really I think that's the key in it all. If you're and when we say the word PK by the way we're talking about a preacher's kid or a pastor's kid mm-hmm. and when if you are somebody who has been in that situation and you fell and you didn't get up yeah. today's a day. Mm-hmm. Get yeah. off your knees. Get off your face. Always a new day. Mercy you know, is made new every morning. That is exactly right. His mercies are made new every morning. And it's we need you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're out there listening and you feel like your ministry is over, your time is coming gone, mm-hmm. don't buy into that lie. Yes. Because we still need you. Amen. We don't just need you, I want you. Yes. And I know God wants you. And so consider that today. You know, consider that, that your value is is exponentially more than what you you might have initially thought. So um, do you feel like you were targeted as a PK for by your peers or per, perhaps by spiritual opposition? I mean, I know I told y'all earlier off air that I felt like I was targeted immediately when I declared myself mm-hmm. to be a minister of the gospel mm-hmm. because hell hates that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So do, do you feel like you were the victim of that as well? Spiritual opposition, I think absolutely. Um, I feel like every child of God is at some point. I think ministry probably absolutely. gets it a little more just full force mm-hmm. right out the chute. Because like you're saying, we are hell's worst nightmare. But a spiritual calling and an anointing is just a magnet for mm-hmm. an attack from hell. It is. And it's a tug of war every day with heaven and hell. You know, God pulls for us. The devil pulls for us back and forth, back and forth. But ultimately... We're the ones that choose who mm-hmm. wins that tug of war. But regarding my peers, um, I wouldn't say targeted as much as probably avoided. <laughs> as funny as that sounds, that's probably more the case. Um, as the preacher's kid, you know, you're viewed as the goody two-shoes. Yeah. And my peers, or our peers as PKs, don't want to do anything wrong around us. Afraid we'll go tattletale or tell the pastor, mm-hmm. or mom and dad, you know, and all that. Um, so it's either those kind that totally avo- uh, that totally avoid you, or you have the kind that are like a magnet mm-hmm. that won't leave you alone. Yeah, because they think if I am friends with or hang out with the pastor's kid, I'll get something out of it. I'll mm-hmm. get popularity, something like that. Which neither one of those type of friends are the ones I wanted. Right. You know. So I mean, I feel like yes, but not like targeted to the point of being hurt necessarily by yeah. it. There were a few times somebody would try to get at me. Or get at my dad through me. Yeah, absolutely. So I did have to deal with that a few times. But generally speaking, it was pretty normal, I guess. You know, that makes sense. Um, and, and as a kid, I would imagine it's difficult to understand that that struggle is not about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about your dad. Yeah. Or it's about what's behind your dad mm-hmm. that they want, yeah. you know, or they want access to. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, the damage is done, yeah. you know. And... We do some some of these silly little things sometimes without even thinking. I don't think people mean harm, but yeah, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> Better not squeak on my kids. All I can say, exactly. uh, because I, you know that that's not going to get you what you want. No, it, it's going to get like you attention. <laughs> yes, it's going to get you the attention, but not the kind you want. <laughs> it's like Brother Scott Graham. I remember him saying one time at Texas camp meeting. He said his daughter was 16 years old at the time. He had Brother Elms stand up. He said, Brother Elms, you're a pretty big guy. And he said, uh, 
But if you walked outside and you picked up my 16-year-old daughter and started hitting her in the face, he said, you better hope you got four or five good brothers because it's going to take all of them to drag me off your carcass. (laughs) So there's that protective instinct that comes out. You're going to get attention for sure, but not the kind you want. So you've told me, and the the reason that you were uh, the guest I chose to speak with today is because we both have a history of struggling through anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And... I told you, I feel like this is one of the top three issues that is not being talked about in Christendom, and certainly not the apostolic church. Um, There are a few people that have started to rip the blindfold off and see it, but not near to the limit that I would be comfortable with, because we are losing people. Whether we lose them physically or not, and we are losing some physically, we are losing people mentally. You know, I have watched people very close to me come into church services and I look in their face and I can tell they're a million miles from church mm-hmm. because they have all this anxiety and all this oppression on their spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I know you've struggled with that and that's what we're going to talk about in depth today. But what do you think were the chief issues that led to your struggle with anxiety and depression? Well, I struggled more with the depression than anxiety, but I did deal with both. Um, I dealt with, I, I started my journey, let me back up, I started my journey with depression in November of 2020, so it was pretty recent. Okay. Um, I dealt with, in a very short amount of time, an overwhelming amount of rejection from people that were very close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the loss of those relationships, along with some other circumstances that happened during those few months, sent me in just into an emotional spiral of depression just kept mm-hmm. getting worse. You know, each time something new would happen, mm-hmm. it would just send me further down. And the feeling of rejection started to give me a sense of, I guess, social unrest. Mm-hmm. And I would occasionally have social anxiety attacks. Like one day I was at the doctor's office, and all I had to do was go in the building and sign the paper and go back to the car and wait on the phone call to come in because yeah. of COVID. You know, I, right. I couldn't wait in the waiting room. And I waited in the parking lot, I don't know, probably 30 minutes, trying mm. to calm myself down enough to just walk in the building. Wow. And I'm, I'm not normally like that. You know, I'm yeah. a worship leader on the platform. I'm in front of people all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's what I do, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it is who I am. And for me to have trouble just walking in a doctor's office was just very strange for me. But I think that feeling of rejection just gave me that sense of, you know, anybody in this room can at the snap of a finger, decide they don't like me mm-hmm. for no good reason. Cause that's part of what had happened the few months before with some relationships in my life. It's just one morning, everything was fine. The next day they were gone Yeah, and I didn't understand why. And so people and things that I had just, I had built my future on suddenly were just gone. And I just felt hopeless and like I didn't matter to anybody. Yeah. And I felt like some of the people closest to me, that if they could just walk away for no good reason, then I must not mean too much. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like I could trust anybody. So I was left feeling very, probably the best words would be temporary and disposable. Yeah. It's just I didn't feel like I mattered to anybody, mm-hmm. God included, some, some days. Yeah. But I feel like it was just an overwhelming sense of rejection. And then I had started grad school in January. Mm-hmm. And I went into a graduate program that I didn't have experience in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in graduate level courses, stressed to the max, trying to deal with all this emotional trauma and everything. And I was just overwhelmed with right. a lot of things and I just couldn't handle it. 
Yeah, I am. With my story, it's it's, it's more long-standing mm-hmm. uh, emotional issues uh, than than sort of the onset, the sudden onset that you're talking mm-hmm. about. I mean, I I can't ever recall a time until the Lord delivered me that I didn't deal with it. And the worst of it probably was the day that my the, my, my first real love probably was a, a young woman who I met in Bible college. Mm-hmm. And I asked her to marry me. She said yes. And about three weeks later, she ran off with a guy across the hall. Oh, wow. And I was sitting in, I worked at Walmart at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember I fell apart in the hallway. She, mm-hmm. she called me uh, for some reason. And there was a, uh, an African-American minister that I didn't even know he was a minister. I just knew him as a managerial uh, candidate that was walking mm-hmm. around. And he stopped me in the hall, and he's like, brother, we got to pray. Mm-hmm. I was having a full-blown panic attack in the middle of the hallway mm-hmm. in the break room, like outside the break room. And I was I was 19, almost 20 years old. I've been 20 years old a month. And when I got – I was not delivered until I was 22. When I saw, I dealt with it. The worst mm-hmm. of it actually was to come after this, mm-hmm. but I remember that the, the feeling of at any at any point, all this is you know, and, and feeling very temporary, yeah. you know, and and that life was at best a temporary condition, yeah. and the the desire to be out of the pain, mm-hmm. you know, so bad. So I can sympathize with that. You know, our, our journeys are not identical, but I know kind of what that feels mm-hmm. like. So what you're telling me is it wasn't always a struggle for you, but it was brought on by a particular set of challenging circumstances, perhaps that even still continue to this day. I don't know. Uh, But tell me more about that circumstance that, and and what was your response to it immediately afterwards? Um, Well, there was the first trigger, I guess, that probably sent it into a much deeper level. Like, at first, it just started out as, like, a saddened mood. Mm-hmm. That, like, I just couldn't get out of. It was yeah. pretty mild. And I just felt depressed, basically, quote, quote unquote. Um, but about a month after it started, somebody very close to me um, just all of a sudden got angry with me and decided to cut ties with me. Mm-hmm. And with that, their whole family did as well. Oh, wow. And... So these were people that I was extremely close to that I felt like, you know, would be in my life forever. Yeah. And I turned around one day and all of them were gone. Yeah. And a little while later, I started the grad school program and all the stress came on. And a few months after that, um, a couple of close friends of mine, I found out, had... I'm trying to leave out details. <laughs> um <laughs> kind of betrayed me in a way um i felt like i didn't matter very much to them either mm-hmm. and so um just a lot all at once mm-hmm. and then i would have like professors like i can remember one day and this is a small situation but it just again yeah. it just sent me down it's another twig down on the further <laughs> but there was one week i went to class and i had forgotten to read my chapter or i didn't read it for some reason i was overwhelmed with work and i just didn't have time to read the chapter these chapters are like 30 40 pages long yeah and i didn't read it that one week it's the first week i'd ever done it and he asked the class if we had read our chapter well it turns out like nobody in the class had read it and he chewed us out for probably 15 minutes mm. and made us go home and i i had drove to class like three hours to get to this class wow. and so not not only was I mad that I wasted my gas <laughs> mm-hmm. and everything, I got to my car feeling like, you know, I'm a lousy 
friend. I'm a lousy music leader. I'm a lousy student now. Yeah. You know, what good am I to anyone in this world? Yeah. And it just felt like everything I took pride in was just slowly getting pulled away. You know, I always thought I was a good friend. Yeah. And now I feel like my friends hate me. And mm-hmm. so I feel like a terrible friend. You know, I thought I was a good worship leader and something random may happen and made me feel like I wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know? And some of it would stem from just my mind lying to me. Yeah, absolutely. Because in that time, and I know you understand this, it's just like somebody can say something totally innocent and you just immediately fly off into left field. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, they don't love me. They, they hate my guts. You know, I made them mad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody can ignore a phone call <laughs> and you immediately feel like, oh, my word, what did I do? They hate me, you know? And so it's just like this constant cycle of lies going on in your head, and it's torture. It's it is, torture Because you don't feel like anybody loves you and anybody yeah. cares. But it was just one thing after another that just constantly pushed me further down every yeah. day. And it just... And eventually, I just got to the point I didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Just didn't want to. Wow. So you got to that point then. Mm-hmm. Wow. It sounds to me like almost there was this nest of comfort around you, and one by one the sticks were pulled mm-hmm. out until it was no longer a comfortable place to be. It was just me. Just yeah. you. Didn't feel like that was much. <laughs> you know, at the time. just from an external perspective, that sounds remarkably like a spiritual attack. It's mm-hmm. really what it sounds like to me. Yeah, it does. And sadly, it was a very successful one. Mm-hmm. So was there ever an attempt, and I know this is very personal, was there ever an attempt on your life? For quite a while, I was, I called it borderline suicidal. I don't really know what it what it technically be called. I didn't want to be here, but I didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was driving down the road, you know, going to school or whatever, and I would think, you know, it'd be great if somebody just hit me mm-hmm. and I could just... Be, just be gone. Just be done. Yeah. You know, and there was one time I remember I rode, I was driving down the road again, and I was, I just held the gun in my hand. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't plan to use it. It's just, it was almost an emotional release, just the idea yeah. of not being here. Oh, was I'm almost, familiar with that. Like, it was almost a high, just thinking about the fact of not being in pain anymore. Mm-hmm. And there was one point in April, the week of Easter, actually, I sat down and I typed out a whole suicide note sealed it up in an envelope and I took out um, I think it was over 500 milligrams of Benadryl and I put it in a package mm-hmm. and I taped the package to the envelope and I stuck it in my Bible and I text one of my friends and I said that um, if something happens to me there's a note in my Bible make sure my parents find it mm-hmm. and of course the friends started freaking out thinking I was literally about to kill myself <laughs> and that wasn't the plan it was kind of like I was saying before it was like it felt good just to know yeah. That if tomorrow I wake up and I can't do this anymore, then I don't have to think about the plan. Mm-hmm. I already have the plan. Yeah. And if something just happens and I can't do this anymore, this is here for me. Mm-hmm. I, I still have that. Just But but now it's as a reminder of yeah. what God can do. Because funny as it may sound, I actually put the words just in case on the envelope. Yeah. And now I kind of look at that as a just wait one more day just in case yeah. God heals you tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and so it's like a reminder of what that just in case moment, wait one more day. That's beautiful. Can do. You know, you never know. One more day can hold more pain. One more day can hold a healing. That's absolutely true. And so I hold it now. It's still in my Bible to this day. I have wow. the Benadryl tablets are still in there and everything, but I hold <laughs> on to it. Like mo- most people would probably think I need to throw it away, <laughs> but it's not a temptation for me anymore. You know, thank God. But 
just that reminder of where God brought me from, mm-hmm. you know, that I waited another, that I did wait another day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually I kept waiting days mm-hmm. and God turned it around for me. And that's just, it's a beautiful reminder for me. I think about it in these terms that if I take myself out, mm-hmm. I remove any hope that God ever does anything for me. Exactly. And I can point you to not just the moment, but I can point you to the place mm-hmm. where God delivered me. There's a spot at Burf Ferry Pentecostal Church. I was 22 years old, and I'm getting emotional, and that's okay. I come back. Um, I was not. I was not doing good yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. And I walked into church, and everybody here knows I sing. Mm-hmm. Aunt Tina, who at this point you will have heard on this podcast, already asked me to sing. Jesus is the reason why I sing. <laughs> And to be totally honest with you, I didn't feel like I had any reasons to sing. But I got up, nonetheless, and my Aunt Tina I love dearly. I would never tell her no. Mm -hmm. And so I got up there, and I started singing the song, going through the motions. And I'm like, God, I I feel like such a liar because I don't believe this song right now. And God spoke to me if I've ever heard his voice. And he said, I cannot take away what you will not give me. He said, you've held on to that anxiety. You've held on to that spirit of oppression. You've held on to all of those things because they're familiar. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a struggle, but you're familiar with that struggle, and it feels normal. Mm -hmm. It feels normal to be sad. It feels normal to be all of these different things. But if you'll turn that loose, I will deliver you. And I raised my hands. I actually put the microphone down. I just raised my hands, and God's spirit hit me at the top of my head. And it went all the way to the sole of my feet, and I blacked out. Mm. And when I when I came back to myself, that weight was just gone. It was just it wasn't there anymore. Mm. And I walked out. And did the enemy come back and try to put that back on me like a blanket? Absolutely. Mm. You know. And there are moments to to this day where the enemy will come and whisper and he'll tell me, you know, you're not worth anything. You know that this is all just a facade and that this is that. And it'd be so much better. I've literally, in the last month, had the thought, it'd be so much better if you go in that closet, pick up the gun, blow your brains out. Mm -hmm. But I know that thought doesn't originate from me. It doesn't originate from the Spirit of God. And so I reject it immediately. And I say, you know, I'm just stressed. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not reality. That's just stress talking. And so I've never had a spirit of depression on me again since I was 22 years old. been free 13 years now. And I am living proof, and you are living proof, that God can and that God will. Yes. He will absolutely do it. And I don't understand why he doesn't do it for everybody. I don't know. Yeah. But I know that he can, and I know that he does. And it's a very important discussion to have. There is hope, but there's only hope if you don't quit. There's only hope if you live one more day. Amen. And whatever you got to do, let me be clear and honest right now. Whatever you've got to do to live to see tomorrow, do it. Yeah. If it means going and getting you a prescription for an antidepressant, yes. go get you that prescription and Amen. live to see another day. Yeah. If it means calling a bunch of friends and say, come pray for me because I may not make it till tomorrow, call a friend yeah. and go get the help you need. To survive. Because the only way God's going to bring you out is if you keep trying. Amen. Try.
trying to compose myself a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I got off on a tangent there. No, that's okay. Beautiful story. How do you address the triggers in your personal life and stop them from derailing you? Like I, I said earlier, I just reject it. I say, I know that's not from God. Yeah. You know, I push it aside. Do you have any triggers that you have to address? Um, conflict is a big one for me if I feel conflict or tension mm-hmm. I kind of automatically take it as a sense of rejection mm-hmm. like you have a problem with me yeah. something's wrong with me um, so that would be a big one for me probably and just feeling like I'm not good enough somehow mm-hmm. is a big one um, but how do I address the triggers I'm one of those people I'm very independent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to a fault sometimes and I hate to feel like I can't do something uh-huh. anybody that knows me like I'm a perfectionist still to this day I try to find the good in the perfectionism <laughs> but I still cannot stand to have something staring at me in the face I can't do like, yeah. you tell me I can't do something I'm gonna bust a gut trying yeah. to do it you know, I, can't, I can't stand it so like the anxiety triggers like social anxiety or whatever if I start feeling socially anxious my immediate response is this is trying to tell you you can't walk in this building. Mm-hmm. You're going to walk in this building. Yeah. And so I immediately do the opposite of what I feel mm-hmm. like I shouldn't be doing. But there are times, I think, and this is something I was thinking about, I think, yesterday, was sometimes I'm the person who just tries to face my triggers head on. I just mm-hmm. try to deal with them. Yeah. Um, it's healthy. Yeah. For me, it's, it, it proves independence for me, I think, which makes me feel better and stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to step back and say, you know, is... Facing and addressing this trigger going to make me a better person or is it going to hurt me? Mm-hmm. Like walking into a building that's making me nervous, that's probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's helping me realize I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a good thing for me. But if it's conflict related, maybe I don't need to walk, just dive into that situation. Right. Because it could turn out bad for me and mm-hmm. literally cause some type of legitimate concrete rejection that I don't need to deal with. Or some damage to a relationship. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I try to look at the situation and say, you know, do I need to face this? Is it going to make me better? Is it going to make me worse? Is it going to help me feel better mentally? Or is it going to make me feel worse mentally? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is it's going to be better, then I try to face it. Mm -hmm. Or I try to work my way up to facing it. Yeah. Um, But I also, I think you have to know yourself because there's some situations like... um, and this is unrelated really to mental health, I guess. But, like, one thing for me is claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. I If it's a messy desk, something as small as that, it's going to drive me batty. I can't. I can't <laughs> do it. Like, a messy table with all the napkins and stuff at the restaurant, I have to push things out of my way. I have to have space. I can't be closed in small spaces. And I know myself well enough to know that if I get in a situation like that, I will have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. So those type of things I try to avoid. Yeah. I don't want to have a heart attack or anything, you know. <laughs> so I'm trying to be healthy here, mentally and physically. So just the things that maybe you can address mm-hmm. that will make you feel like you're gaining some ground. Because it's the small successes. Small you know? steps. That's small absolutely things. right. So if I feel like I can walk into this building, make myself walk into this building, then I'm one step closer to being over social anxiety. Right. Or whatever the, the problem is, fill in the blank. But you have to stay away from the dangerous ones, I think. Yes. Pray about those. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, the ones you can't control, pray about for God to take away. So that's what I try to do with my triggers. I think that relates to the uh, relates to the Lord's Prayer when yeah. he says, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver, deliver us, us yeah. from evil. You know, and any impulse that, you know, strives to take you out, that's an evil impulse. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to pray that God delivers us from those things. That's you know, he, um, can. he can. He absolutely can, and he will. That's his, that's his will. That's his plan. 
Where do you think God was when you were struggling? <laughs> this was probably the most difficult and easy, and yet easy question to answer for this one, honestly. Um, I didn't feel God, mm-hmm. to be honest. I would sit, kneel, try to pray, try to do what I knew to do. And as soon as my knees hit the carpet, I'd get mad. Mm-hmm. You know, because I felt like that typical thing everybody says, you know, well, God, you could have stopped this from happening. You yeah. know, just that anger. Plus, I felt like, and this sounds really dumb to say out loud now, but it's <laughs> almost like I felt like God owed me something. Yeah. You know, like I've lived my whole life from day one in ministry somehow. Yeah. Whether it was just being a PK, a music ministry, whatever. I've constantly lived every day of my life doing this yeah for you yeah and it's just like i felt like you could at least mm-hmm. you know like he hasn't done enough for me already right. you know it's yeah. a, it's back to that warped mindset again it's back to the same thing my mind was warped literally because it's like i felt like god owed me something when that's <laughs> very far from the truth he's paid everything for me i don't he doesn't owe me anything yeah i owe him everything but just that anger I feel like isolated me from God almost, if yeah. that makes sense. Because it's almost like God made me mad, so why would I want God here? Yeah. You know, and but there were two instances I can remember that I feel like God stepped down despite my anger. Yeah. And just reminded me he was there. One was, if, if I have time to share the story. You share as well. Share away. The first one I think would be we had a visiting preacher here at our local church. And um, he had gone around the platform and he had prayed for everybody on the platform, all all the praise singers. And there was only one singer left on that platform he hadn't prayed for, <laughs> <laughs> and it was me. And so I remember I was sitting there at the keyboard, and I got so mad, I got livid. <laughs> like I was like, God, can you at least let this man pray for me? You know, yeah. like I'm up here literally not wanting to live. Yeah. I'm wanting to walk off this keyboard. And either go die, backslide, something. Yeah. I want this pressure off me. I want it to go. You know? And I remember basically sitting there, and I basically, I, I think, I'm almost positive, I gave God an ultimatum and said, you either have this man come pray for me or I'm done. Yeah. You know, that kind of, I had dealt with everything I felt like dealing with. Yeah. Service ended, nothing happened. Nothing. So I'm boiling mad at this point. <laughs> 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 and then all of a sudden... I'm still at the keyboard, and all of a sudden, one of my friends that's very shy, um, or he was at this point. Okay, she's pointing to her friend <laughs> sitting over in the corner, okay, just for the record. Yeah, and I told him I had a surprise for him tonight, so this is a surprise. Um, but anyway, I was sitting there, and up at this point, you know, now he's singing on the platform and stuff, but at this point, I don't think he'd even step foot on the platform. And he all of a sudden, he just walked up to me. I was like, hey, can I pray for you? He's never, we've been friends for like eight years. He's never done this before that I can remember ever. And so I let him pray for me, you know. And then it's like, it didn't register at that point. Mm-hmm. But later I got off the platform and I was like, you know what? God knew that if the preacher prayed for me, then I could have just been one of anybody on, on that platform. Yeah. It, it wouldn't have singled me out for anything mm-hmm. special. Yeah. But when the shy friend walks up on a place that he's not comfortable being mm-hmm. and says, hey, can I pray for you? Like, I knew God sent him yeah. in that moment because that was a greater sign for me. Yeah. When my shy friend came to pray for me instead of the bold preacher. Right. And it meant more to me for him to pray for me than for the preacher to pray for me because yeah. I knew God sent him. Yeah. 
And then there was a second one. I went to ladies' conference in March. It was the middle of of my journey. And I, I was suicidal, I believe, from February to April. So this was like dead center of my suicidal months. And I went hoping that God would somehow deliver me. You know, I went. I, I worked ahead on schoolwork and everything so I could go to this conference. You know, I wanted to go so bad. So I went. And I'm numb. I can't feel anything. Mm. I'm trying to worship, going through the motions, clapping my hands, raising my hands. Can't feel anything. And Sister Shara McKee, mm. believe it or not, she got up there and she preached, spoke on free hugs. Yeah. And there was a sign I think she had of a man standing on the street corner with a sign that said free hugs. And mm. he would just offer free hugs to anybody that wanted one to stop by. And I can't remember all of her exact points, but basically I think she was saying that... You know, sometimes God hugs us through his presence coming down. Sometimes God hugs us through other people. And it got to the altar call. And Sister Tina Pennington that you were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, I was sitting there hoping something would happen. You know, nothing was happening for me. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was sitting there. And all of a sudden, Sister Pennington, which I'm really close friends with her daughter, you know, but I'm, and we're close, but we don't talk all the time. We're not always together, you know. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like she knew what I was going through. And I was just sitting there, and all of a sudden, somebody just wrapped me up. Like, I didn't know who it <laughs> She's was. She's really good at that. <laughs> yes, she is. And so I was just sitting there and just wrapped me up. And when she wrapped me up, the floodgates opened. Yeah. And all of this time, you know, like I was talking about earlier, I felt so hated, mm-hmm. basically, and rejected and just shunned mm-hmm. for nothing. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that I haven't made mistakes and everything, yeah. but ultimately... You feel like people in your corner will be in your corner and talk to you if you've made a mistake or whatever. But these people is just like they just push me away. Push you away. Yeah. And so I felt like unloved and like I didn't matter. And all of a sudden, she had no motive yeah. to give me a hug. Like she wasn't hugging me goodbye. She wasn't hugging me hello. She wasn't telling me happy birthday. You know, yeah. I mean, it was just. And I started thinking about it while I was preparing for this podcast, and I thought, I thought back and I was like, why did that hug mean so much to me? Yeah. Because it stands out to this day. And I thought there was no reason for that hug except just true love. Yeah. You know, she loved me. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in four or five months, I felt like somebody that didn't want anything out of me. Yeah. Just loved me mm-hmm. for who I am. And in that moment, it was like God stepped down and said, you know, I love you. And yeah. you might be mad at me right now. It's kind of like when a dad gets onto their kid, you yeah. know, and the kid's mad at them. They kind of wrap them up, you know, and like, I know you're mad at me right now, but yeah. I love you, and I'm here. And until you get over your little temper tantrum, I'm going to be here, you know. Yeah. But it was like he just stepped down and said, I love you. You matter. I want you here. Yeah. And just moments like that, I'm sure there were more. Yeah. There, there were moments in worship God would step down, and I feel like he gave me God moments. Yeah. And gave me enough strength to keep going until right. I made it to the moment he took it away. Yeah. But those would be two major points. God was there. I just didn't see it. I got a little bit emotional when you were telling that story and there's a reason. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of when I was I was 19 and I'd gone through all of this. We were in the, in the middle of the next year. So I was 20 at this point. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And he's dead now. But one of my professors... Brother Kai Larson walked over to me. We were at, in the middle of Higher Ground, which is a music conference that they throw, and I was always a part of uh, the youth part, 
that they did. And it was demonstrations for what you can do with your youth group. And I was walking around. I had a little earpiece in my ear. And I was just a part of the group just standing around. Mm -hmm. And he walks over to me with no motive other than God spoke to him. (laughs) And he hugged me up and he started whispering in my ear. And he started speaking in tongues. And he told me, he said, it's not happening right now, Dustin. But God still has a word. He said, and you're just too low to see it right now. But God's still going to use you. And two years later, God took him home. He was 36 years old. He was a year older than I am now. And he lost his life in an accident. And when you were telling me that, I was thinking, do I have any hugs, you know, that I can remember? (laughs) It's one of the most memorable ever because, you know, it's not like he had a special relationship with me. I was his student, but, you know, we weren't, you know, anything exclusively special. But he walked over to me and he loved on me. And that was a God moment that I will remember till God takes me home. Mm -hmm. And it made me a little bit emotional thinking about that because I miss him so, so bad. What a man. What a man. Moving on, <laughs> because I'm going to start blubbering here. Yeah, yes. What do you wish you had known before going into this? I wish I had known it would end. Yeah. But what do you wish you had known? Um, if you take my whole life into account, including this season that I went through, I think probably one thing I would have to say was just knowing that how those people treated me mm-hmm. didn't equate God's presence, God's mm-hmm. feeling for me. Mm-hmm. You know, just because others turned away. Yeah. Didn't mean God would. You know, yeah. take this whole world, give me Jesus right. mindset. You know, if I could have just looked past the fog and the the scrambled eggs in my brain, <laughs> so to speak, and just realize, you know, that these people hurt you. We're human. They're human. I hurt people. They hurt me. You know, but God is here. And that maybe would have helped me realize and not get angry at God. Yeah. Because I feel like mine was relatively short compared to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know? But I almost wonder if I hadn't got angry at God, if maybe it wouldn't have been brought out sooner. Yeah. Like if I hadn't come to an end sooner. Um. Because when you feel like even God's not in your corner, yeah. then you really feel like you have no purpose to be here. Yeah. And I think just realizing that people aren't equal to God mm-hmm. and that how people feel is not how God feels. Right. Would be a big one for me. That's incredible to say. Uh, because we, we talked about that a little bit earlier. That sometimes we just blame God for what people do, yeah. you know, and it's a human thing yeah. to do. Uh I know it's a human thing to do because everybody does it at mm-hmm. some point. Uh, but we have to realize that people are being people. Yeah. And the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. Oh, yeah. It's the truth, man. I've watched it happen time and time and time and again. I hurt people when I was hurt. Absolutely. Yeah. If, you know, if you don't heal the wounds, you'll bleed on people that didn't cut you. That's another one that's been going around recently. And, and it's the truth. Uh, we'll drag our issues into things that are completely unrelated. I know I did. In fact, I, my wife, she told me, she said, why couldn't I meet you six years earlier than I did or nine years earlier than I did? And I said, you would have hated my guts then. Mm-hmm. I was a completely different person. Mm-hmm. You know, God, God's mercy brought me to where I'm at. Mm-hmm. 
I wasn't this person nine, ten years ago. You know, I wasn't even this person three days ago. God's working on me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have to embrace that process. Nobody's born a grown up. No. You know, did worship play a part in how you were able to overcome? Because I know worship is a big deal to you. You sing a lot. Worship was a huge part, um, probably one of the biggest parts. Of, I don't remember exactly what the month was, but at some point I actually considered stepping down mm-hmm. from the music department for a while. I wanted to um, focus on myself, try to get better, plus mm-hmm. the perfectionist in me felt yeah. like I wasn't giving my best. You know, kind of like you were saying right. earlier. You don't. You're not believing the words you say, mm-hmm. so you don't feel like you're really doing any good. Yeah, and because you know, I feel like God flows through me out. Mm-hmm. Not that He doesn't just come straight down. Exactly, you know? I know I what you mean. I feel like now. His preferred way yes. is to use me, right, to conduct the Spirit out to the congregation. And if I'm not connected to God, what good am I doing? Right, moving through you instead of moving in spite of you. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You know, and that's my preferred way. And I want God to use me, and I didn't feel like. I was connected to God, yeah. so how could God connect people? I felt like I was wasting my time. Right. But at the same time, I also had a selfish reason for stepping down. You know, I kind of, not a lot of people knew about the struggle. You know, even my parents, I don't think I told my parents until I was almost at the end or after. Yeah. Um, but I almost wanted to do it for selfish purposes and just basically as a cry for help mm-hmm. you know like this is not normal for me to step down somebody notice and help me like, yeah. this is like my last resort to cry for help yeah and i talked to some people about it trying to see what they thought you know i had people for it i had people against it and i finally decided to just stay mm-hmm. with what i knew to do and because when i couldn't pray you know i was talking about earlier i couldn't pray but I could sing, Mm -hmm. you know, and if I can't praise you and create words to praise you in the moment in my prayer closet, I can sing lyrics to you off a page right? until you heal, just in case, kind of like that envelope earlier, you know, just in case. I'm going to keep singing just in case. Yeah. And I kept going. I kept doing what I knew to do, you know, and every Sunday I felt like I was just constantly pouring from something empty. Yeah. You know, oh, I dry, know that feeling. Dry as a desert, you know? Yeah. And I was desperately pouring into people, trying to pour into people, when I desperately wanted anybody to pour yeah. into me. And I remained faithful with what I knew to do. And I really feel like God honored that faithfulness. Absolutely. And he upheld me mm-hmm. until. And he remained faithful to me. And so worship was a huge part for me. And I'm in the process... I need to get back to it. This actually reminds me. <laughs> um, I'm trying to write a song right now called From What's Left. Yeah. Because it was like every Sunday I poured from what little I had left. Yeah. You know, so just like every day, you know, God, I'm going to pour. I don't have much. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the woman at Jesus' feet with the alabaster yeah. box. You know, I don't have much. But to you, it's precious. Because yeah. it's all I have left. Yeah. So until you heal me, until you touch me and make me whole, I'm going to keep pouring from this vessel. Yeah. It's the last thing I have. Yeah. But just from what's left. Yeah. You know, and so worship was a huge part. Worship kept me, my head above water. Yeah. A little bit. You know, there were days I would be in the prayer room, time to walk onto the platform, and I would be crying. Yeah. Trying to compose myself. Because I'm always one of those people, you know, that if I'm dealing with something, I leave it on the floor. Yeah. I don't take it to the platform. Yeah. You know, now I, I might let my pain 
push my praise, make, you know, try to connect my pain with people yeah. in the audience just to make a connection with right. them. Because if you can pull people's heartstrings, right. you, you can do a lot. So, I mean, I might do it that way. But as far as me bringing my baggage and, like, treating people bad or being angry with people, snapping at people on the platform, I didn't do that. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be that person. And so I would sit in the prayer room trying to get that off of me yeah. before I walked up there. Because once I got on the platform, no matter what I was dealing with, even if I wanted to go home and take those pills, yeah. you know, this moment is not me. This moment is God. Yeah. And that, I think eventually that helped my mind focus better and yeah. get the right attitude, the right mindset. Yeah. Worship was huge. huge yeah, for it's, me. it was huge for me. And what you said a while ago made me think about David when he said, I, uphold me with the right hand of thy free spirit. Mm. Even the, the probably the most well-known worship leader of all time, King David, he had to cry out to God and say, you've got to hold me up because I can't do it by myself. You know, I've, I've shared my story. You literally know I was in the middle of a song when God delivered yeah. me. So worship was a huge part of it mm. for me. And, and something else you said, I have I have harped on this when I preach. When you don't know what to do, do what you do know what to do. Yeah, exactly. Don't stop doing it just because it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Do what you know God would want you to do. Exactly. And God will eventually meet you where you're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to rephrase one of these questions here that I had written down. How has this experience changed the way you view people who have these issues? Because it dramatically affected the way I see people. Well, I guess before, which I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. So Mm -hmm. that helped me as well, kind of shift my view of people. But I think I'm, and I said it earlier, I consider myself to be a very strong, tough person. Mm Mm-hmm. And up until this point, I had always been through all the church hurt, through everything. I don't know if I was really coping with it or if I was just pushing it down. I yeah. don't know. But I I always knew how to change my attitude. Yeah. I always knew how to, if I was sad, I always knew what to do to make me better. Yeah. And I always thought, you know, I'm tough. Yeah. And so when other people weren't that way yeah. and they struggled and it was like they couldn't get out of it. I tended to privately, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say it, but privately I would view them as weak. Yeah. You know, because I'm like, well, I'm how, however old, 16, 17, 18, yeah. on up, and I can deal with my emotions. Why can't you deal with yours? <laughs> you know, and so... Get over it. <laughs> exactly. And, and so I kind of tended to view people like, you don't know how to cope. Like, yeah. I mean, you need to learn to cope. Yeah. And probably I was just in denial of all my problems and yeah. just didn't want to deal with them. But I think it made me realize, because I literally felt like, of course, I believe there's multiple reasons for the season I went through. I mean, I do believe it was spiritual in some mm-hmm. sense, um, probably a lot of sense, because um, I don't believe I had like a chemical imbalance in the yeah. brain or anything, you know. But there was some reason I was going through this. But I feel like almost in one way, it's like God. I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm hating on God, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of like God slapped me upside the head almost in a way yeah. and said, you know, you're not all you're cracked up to be. You need to learn to depend on me. Yeah. And there's a verse in, I think, Song of Solomon that talks about she comes out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. Yes. And it's a beautiful verse. It is. And when you've lived the wilderness and you've walked out of it and you learned... I'm not going to get out of this wilderness until I get some help from the only one that can bring me out of it. Yeah. And learning that the wilderness has a purpose. 
It does, absolutely. Everybody has their own wilderness, their own timing of their own wilderness. The length of their wilderness is different. But ultimately, I believe it teaches us to lean on God. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I I can give you advice as my friend. I can give you advice, but ultimately I can't fix this for you. You're going to have to learn to lean. And until you learn to lean, there's nothing I can do. But I've learned grace. Yeah. Because I've learned that it's not a weakness. No. It's a process. That's right. And we all have to go through it. And and me wanting to help somebody get through that is a big part of it too, because I've kind of seen the way out, Mm -hmm. you know, Somebody can't lead you out of hell unless they've been there. Exactly. You know, but guess guess what? We serve a God who has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Mm-hmm. Ain't nowhere you can go he ain't been. Exactly. And so God can deliver you. Uh, I was smiling when you were talking about the wilderness because God <laughs> dealt with me about something about that, but I'll save that for another time. <laughs> but uh, quite a remarkable story of, of his voice breaking through in a time when I, I felt so isolated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll share it another time. But um, have you ever witnessed a miracle? Well, funny you should ask. I'm waiting, <laughs> I'm waiting on this one. I did my own. Yeah. I have a personal story of a miracle. You know, we're talking about everything I endured during this time period. Well, we talked about how I stayed faithful and I tried to do the best I could with what I could do. And I went to a church in Texas back in June. And before I say this, I want to preface by saying in May, I actually started taking antidepressants. Mm-hmm. So, like you were saying, making a case for Absolutely. medication, it's not wrong. No, it's you not. Know, do what I, you got to do. I felt like I needed it. Not, not that I was dependent on it. It's mm-hmm. just I was so desperate just to feel good enough to get up and go about my day halfway happily. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed a little pick-me-up. It's not a drug. You know, yeah. it's just I needed some energy. I needed some oomph almost mm-hmm. to my life so I did and at this point I'd been taking them for a few weeks and she told me when I started she said make sure you take these every day because if you don't you'll start going through withdrawals because mm-hmm. your body some something happens with your body I don't know what it is but it was not going to be good apparently yeah. if I stopped taking these and so I went to a Texas church in June when I'm he's a man like a father to me he's been in my life forever and I just felt like if I went God was going to heal me yeah I didn't have any proof of it it Obviously, but I just felt like you would. So I went all by myself. It's like six hours away. It's the longest trip I've ever went on by myself <laughs> in my life. <laughs> it was great. So much fun. But um, so I went, and Sunday morning went by. You know, I got prayed for Sunday morning, not because I asked for it. Just, it just happened to get prayed for. It was great. And everything was wonderful. And But I didn't get healed at that point. And Sunday night, I got up, and I sang this song, Goodness of God. Mm-hmm. It's all my life you've been faithful, you know. And now I think it's a powerful concept because in the middle of that pit, I got up right before the healing and said, God, you're faithful. Despite what I'm going through right now, God, you're faithful. And little did I know the altar call for that service was going to change my life. And so I'm standing there. The pastor of the church, which was the man that's like the father figure for me, or a father figure, I should say, um, he knew what was going on. He was one of my accountability people, made sure I was okay and alive and prayed for me and Mm -hmm. different things. So he knew, and he walked up to me in altar call, and I was still basically at my seat. I had sat at the front row, but yeah. I was still at my seat, you know. It wasn't my church, so I didn't feel comfortable just <laughs> pushing my way yeah. to the steps, you know. So I just kind of held back. Again, that's the PK in me. So I was standing back at my seat, and he comes up beside me, and because we're so close, you know, he just put his arm around my shoulder yeah. rather than just laying hands on me. 
And he just started praying for me. He prayed for God, I think, to open my ears and my eyes to his voice and things. And then he put both hands on both sides of my head. And just a simple prayer mm-hmm. and said, God, I pray that the torment in her mind would end. And again, the floodgates opened. Yeah. And I, I just lost it right there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is exactly what I came for. You know, yeah. this is what I want to happen. And I had, I think because I stepped out in faith mm-hmm. and I went those six hours and I spent that weekend and everything and I sang about his faithfulness and I'd stayed faithful. God healed me in an instant. Yeah. Just like that. And so I went to their house. I was staying with them for the weekend. And um, <laughs> um, I felt like, you know, God, if I'm really going to say you took all this away from me tonight, then I can't take these antidepressants today. Yeah. Because, I mean, some people, you know, they need them. And yes. that's fine. You know, but me, I just needed them for a time period. Yeah. Just to help me get a little bit up out of my pit to make some progress in life. Yeah. Not that I wasn't making progress, but to yeah. make me feel better. And so I felt like, you know, God, if I'm going to say you healed me, then I need to stop taking this medicine. I don't need to wean off of it. Yeah. Like the doctor said, anything. I just need to cold turkey quit taking this stuff. Yeah. And so that night I went to their house, was getting ready for bed, stopped taking it. Yeah. And the next day I had a six hour drive home all by myself. Yeah. And, you know, the doctor had told me the withdrawals and everything. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to be happening with yeah. my body. Yeah. <laughs> I had no clue. Never had a withdrawal symptom. Wow. God took all of it away. Yes. Yeah. The depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety. I haven't had a social anxiety attack. The depression is gone. Now, like you, there's times the devil inserts mm-hmm. thoughts in my head. Like you, you might as well just kill yourself right yeah. now. You know, you're not worth anything. Yeah. I have those and I have to combat them. I have to pray yeah. over them right then. Yeah. Because if Absolutely. I don't, they're going to find a root. That's right. And they're going to grow. And I had that happen the other day and I bring it up because I feel like God gave me a nugget gold nugget of truth <laughs> because I was riding down the road and I had a thought kind of like you did you know you might as well just kill yourself right now yeah. you're worth nothing to nobody and immediately I knew it was yeah. a lie yeah. you know because I mean hello how can I not be worth anything <laughs> and, so, and so I was riding down the road and before I even knew it I made a statement and it had to be God because I don't think I would have come up with this on my own but I said out loud in the car by myself I probably look like a nutcase but I said out loud in the car <laughs> You are worth. You are worth living, because I thought you were worth creating. Yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, if nobody else thinks I'm worth anything, God did, or He wouldn't yeah. have made me. Absolutely. And so it's just like I had this aha moment. Yeah. And I don't hardly ever battle those thoughts anymore because it's like all of a sudden out in the air, you know, because the devil's a prince of the air, yeah. into the air. It's like God spoke through me and combated yeah. those thoughts right then. Yeah. And I don't think I've had one since. That same professor that passed on, these went to be with the Lord. He he knew about isolation. He knew about a lot of the mm-hmm. things, you know, because he had dealt with some of them. But he had a famous statement: "God doesn't make trash, only treasure." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he t- he he would say that because people, you know, you go through Bible college, you're sort of inviting, yeah. you know, this combat, you know, a spiritual <laughs> combat. Oh, I've declared I'm going to be He Man, you know, and. <laughs> And I'm sorry, it's just not reality. No. You're still a human being. And, and so oppression would come and we would go through things. Mm-hmm. And he would just walk by and he'd tap you on the shoulder and he'd say, Hey, you, God doesn't make trash. He only makes treasure. <laughs> and just wow. to remind you, your life is worth living, you yeah. know. And that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. We're about to close and wrap things up. But where do you see yourself in 10 years? I mean, obviously, you're incredibly intelligent. You're gifted <laughs> musically. You know, so I think there could be any number of places you could go or would go. But what do you think God will do with you in 10 years? 
Oh. Well, if God wills it, I mean, I hope, I think, what everyone wants. I mean, I hope to be married and with kids. Um, some capacity of ministry, I mm-hmm. feel like. I don't feel like I've gone through all of this. For no reason, yeah. You know, I mean, I feel like there's a purpose behind it, if, if God tarries long enough. So, not. I hope to continue in music ministry. You know, I want to become better and keep progressing down that road. I love music. It's my heart's passion. Um, basically, whatever God wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have ideas, you know, dreams, but ultimately, I just want God to take it over. Yeah. You know, because I want what he wants for me. Absolutely. And I'm leaning on him, you know, kind of like I said, coming out of the wilderness. I'm leaning on him at this point. So yeah. wherever he takes me, that's 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 what I want. Lead the way, Lord. That's where we're going. Exactly. Yeah. I don't live in my rearview mirror. Mm-mm. I have to live. And this, this, I've made this statement before. You, can, you know, life can only be understood looking backwards, mm-hmm. but it has to be lived looking forward. Mm-hmm. I could, you know, in the middle of my struggle, I couldn't understand why I was going through it. There was no clarity. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can pray for God to give you clarity, but he's not obligated to give you all the answers. Mm-hmm. In fact, so seldom does he. <laughs> exactly. But when he come, you come out of it and you look back and you go, okay, I'm tougher than I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, God, together, we're able to do more than I thought. Mm-hmm. And it brings that clarity that you were lacking in the moment. But again, it only comes if you last, if you get up and you try again. The old Chinese proverb says it's not about falling down 700 times. It's about getting up 701, <laughs> you know. I feel like it's just incredibly important just to keep trying. And that's the message that I would leave with everybody. Do you have a a word that you would share with the audience? Because this may go worldwide. You never know who might be listening. Is there something in your spirit that God has been dealing with you about? There was one thing um, regarding the topic of what the church can do. Mm -hmm. I was watching a sermon the other night on my phone, and I think it was by Brother Landon Gore. And he said... You know, the world doesn't need a perfect church. No. So why do we always try so hard to be one? Right. And there's always this spiritual stigma Mm -hmm. behind mental health. That Mm -hmm. every time anybody's dealing with anything, anxiety, depression, anything, it's always a devil. It's always a devil behind the tree. (laughs) You know, and that goes all the way back to the Salem Witch Trials of 1692, I think it was. You know, I mean, people just automatically think everything mental health is just spiritual. And it's a stigma, I think, that the church has. Not that some of it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. It's not. But I think, you know, we'll readily go up to the front and get prayed for for a headache Mm -hmm. or stomach ache or backache. But we're not going to go get prayed for for depression Mm because people think terrible of us. Right. And I think we all have problems. We just don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the church could do itself such better Mm -hmm. than that sentence did not come out right but it doesn't matter (laughs) that we could do so much better if we would allow for humanity oh absolutely that's beautiful just because just because i'm a christian and i have the holy ghost in my heart doesn't mean i am the holy ghost walking absolutely i'm I'm perfect you know god allows for your humanity exactly you know and me on the platform for instance um (laughs) I struggle with problems just like the drunk that walks in off the street does. Yeah. You know, the pastor struggles just like the people in the con- in, in the balcony do. Right. You know, we're not perfect. And, I mean, I'm speaking more from a ministry standpoint of how people view us. But, I mean, any Christian. Yeah. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean we have everything together. That's right. And I think grace and allowance for humanity and safe spaces for people to talk. Absolutely. And bring that need 
just like they bring the physical need. It's needed. It is. And it needs to be it needs to be addressed, I feel like. I absolutely agree with you one hundred percent. It's something we need to talk about. Hence the reason I brought you in. Because I just feel like it's so very vitally important. I'm sick of losing soldiers. You know, literally and physically. We're, I think it's 22 soldiers who have gone through war a day that commit suicide. I wish to goodness they knew about, you know, the church and what God could do for them. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to have had you in. I'm very appreciative. Thank you so much for giving us your time and telling us your story. Uh, and allowing me to just cry all over this microphone because <laughs> I, I knew this one was going to be tough for me. I, I knew it was because I've lived there and I've lived through some of this and I know you have as well. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Absolutely. You've been listening to Grace Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Dustin Mithya. Thank you for listening. And I hope you tune in next week. We're going to talk about a different subject. And may God richly bless you. And I hope we meet somewhere down the road. Goodbye, everyone.